Well, good morning, church family. It's uh, wonderful to see you all here this morning. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just great to be worshipping together, isn't it? And uh, truly we can say as God's people, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I hope that's uh, an anthem of praise that runs through your heart as we open God's word this morning. Abraham, what a, what a great character. Thanks, Karen, for, for reading uh, part of Genesis 16 this morning. We're going to be uh, looking at this man's life yet again. Uh, we didn't quite finish last week, so we're going to start in Genesis 16. So have your Bibles go there, and we'll get into Genesis 17. And we'll just stop where we stop, and we'll start again next week. So that's the sort of what, the way I do things, if I don't quite finish. I'm not going to hold you here for an hour, because uh, once it was told to me, uh, there is a, uh, about sermon length, there is a fine line between a hostage situation and the length of a sermon. <laughs> so I'm very mindful of that, all right? <laughs> I don't want to hold you hostage. I want you to be enriched by God's Word. I want you to learn from God's Word, and as I preach and teach God's words to you, I want to really show you how to unpack God's word for yourself. That's one of my great desires as, as we preach and teach. And To that end, I'm starting to provide you some sermon notes. Now, we had some criticism last week, which was very, very welcome criticism because you couldn't read what you had. So now we've produced it on A4, it's double-sided, bold font, and uh, what you'll find in here is um, places to make notes. I break the chapters up into uh, bite-sized bits, and you can make notes as, as we go along in the sermon. But there's also some other questions in there, and those questions you can actually just reflect upon during the week. And so that's what this is designed for. So it's, it's designed to take notes as we're here, but also designed for you to, as families, take them home and uh, use some of the questions out of here during your family times, or during your, your times as husbands and wives, or in, in your retirement village, just used to, to really start resonating with the text, okay? So that's what they're designed for. And thank you, Michelle, for helping produce these in a readable fashion. I appreciate that. Okay, so open your Bibles to Genesis uh, 16. If you remember from last week, we were in Genesis 15, and we had this amazing... I guess, account of God confirming his covenant with Abraham through a ratification process. Remember last week we, we saw that they, they cut, a, cut away three animals and God himself passed between uh, those animals as a sign that him and him alone are going to fulfill the, the deeds and the promises of the covenant. And when you think about that, that's exactly what Jesus has done, right? As we've celebrated communion, that's exactly what has happened. Christ himself has fulfilled the covenant of dealing with sin. We have never had any part of that. It was his sacrifice, his uh, love on that cross that has dealt with our sin forever. And uh, that's just, just that's how God is. 
He's unconditional in his promises. And he fulfills his promises. So then after this wonderful ratification uh, process, we come to Genesis 16. I would have thought that after Abraham was involved in this, that, that his uh, particular view on what was about to happen, happen would be really solidified, right? God, you took me out, you showed me the stars, and you, you said my offspring was going to be greater than the numbers of the stars and the heavens. But then we see Sarah's perspective, or Sarai's perspective. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. I think uh, so happen, this happens so often in our walk of faith. So often we tend to run ahead of God's plans. And this is what's happening here. This is a classic example of running ahead of the plans of God. In this chapter 16, we have the story of Abraham and two women, Sarai and Hagar. And this story really showcases the failing faith and distrust of Abram and Sarai. It displays a running head of God's plans. And it also shows that waiting is so hard to do, right? So often we, 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 we just struggle to wait. You think about that as a, a society. You think about just um, the explosion of things like afterpay. Uh, credit card debt. You think about all those sorts of things. They're, they're tapping into our desire to not wait for anything. They're tapping in our desire to sort of buy now, have the whatever, and pay later. It's tapping into human nature, and, and we see human nature on display here as Abram and Sarah know the promises of God but they take the planning uh, into their own hands. 
You know, this is the first marital triangle in biblical history. We don't read of a, a mixed marriage anywhere else up until this point in Genesis. Doesn't mean it wasn't going on, but we don't read about it. Here we have the multiplication of rejection, anger, hurt, jealousy, and vicious cruelty. In many ways, this is a warning to us all, right? Donald Barnhouse, one of the, the great preachers of the past, said this, No perfect feet walk the faith of faith. And he means that we aren't perfect, and we will struggle. Now Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Such wise things. If you're a person of faith here today, if you have your faith in Christ, take heed, pay attention. Let's learn the lessons from Abram and Sarai. You see, we have Sarai who is barren. We read this right at the start of Genesis 11. Right at the start of the family tree is one of the significant things that the Word of God highlights. Sarah is barren. So how, how therefore is there going to be an offspring? God's promised an offspring. He's promised nations. He's promised multiplication of Abram's family. But she's barren. And you even see in this text, who does Sarai blame for her barrenness? Very clear, verse 2. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Pretty clear, pretty clear cut. Sarai knows that she is barren because she has not been blessed by the Lord. And she becomes impatient because this is a, a major stigma in her culture. Not to bear children was something that was very troubling to all those around. And she blames the Lord for her state. But then she comes up with a scheme. And this scheme is a, a sort of a solution based on the social norms of the day. The scheme was acceptable to the culture. Here, take my maidservant, take my servant, I'll let her be your wife, Abram, and you can have children and then those children can be mine in effect. And we will have God's promise upon our life. So she takes the social norm of the day, which is acceptable to the culture, but as we know from God's word, it's against the desires of God. If you go back a few chapters in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, you see that God gave Adam Eve in the covenant of marriage. And that's what was God's desire. One man, one woman. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Marriage. Right? Sarai knew this. Abram knew this. But the, the pressure upon her, she decided to, to use the social norm of the day 
the surrogate, a child. You know, the cultural convention of the day stated that Sarah would have authority over the offspring of the concubine. And this was acceptable to the culture, an acceptable position, but to God, completely unacceptable. One, because it's against his promise, which he has made to them, but two, because of his previous stated uh, family model of hus one, one husband, one wife. So this happens. And um, you sort of ask, well, what are the social norms today that sometimes we follow that are potentially against God's design? I think there's many out there like that. Uh, purity prior to marriage. You know, our, our social norm here is, is awash with, um, I guess, the try before you buy type mentality. It's okay to, to live with your partner. Even that term of partner, you think about that. It becomes a social norm and and then what happens is the social norm is infiltrated into the church. And the boundaries of purity are, are broken down. And, you know, purity is not a killjoy thing. Purity is there because God wants your best. He wants the best design for his people. I'm not going to labour on this. You know what some of the social norms are that are washing our culture. But we need to be very careful. Very careful not to be aligned by those things and aligned by God's word on morality and purity and gender and sexuality. I know it's tough. It's tough when the culture is so accepting of all these norms. But as followers of Christ, we need to be set apart. Now, Peter talks about be holy because I am holy. We take that seriously as followers of him. You know, so we have Sarai scheming but the thing that really gets me is how passive Abram is in the whole thing, right? Why didn't he shout out to Sarah, hey, I've just had this amazing experience. God has just promised that the offspring is going to come through you and I. He's even cut animals. He's even made a blood covenant with us. But no, he's pretty passive. Oh, yeah, send, send, send her in. Send Hagar in, come on. Yeah, I'll do my duty for the family. And uh, the, the major issue here I see, and, and this is, I might get in trouble with this, the problem is that Abraham listens to the voice of his wife. 
That's what the text tells me, right? End of verse 2. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. And uh, instead of listening and trusting in the promise of God. That's the counter. And potentially he... You know, this, this really sounds like a really familiar story in Genesis, doesn't it? We all go back to Genesis chapter 3. The story of Adam and Eve. Here Abraham listened to his wife just as Adam listened to his. I could make a whole doctrine about not listening to your wife based on these two chapters. But I don't think that's wise because that's not the full counsel of God. But in these situations, it is what it is. Here Sarai took Hagar just as Eve took the fruit. Here Sarai gave Hagar to her husband just as Eve gave the fruit to hers. And in both cases, the man willingly and knowingly partakes. All right? And the result of this act of disobedience is absolute chaos. Chaos reigns. It's amazing. There's a proverb. Proverbs 30 verse 21 says this. Under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes a king. And a fool when he is filled with full. Uh, and a fool when he is filled with food. An unloved woman when she gets a husband. And a maidservant when she displeases her mistress. I reckon the writer of the Proverbs was observing what happened in Genesis 16. And chaos is reigning. Chaos is described in, in several ways through this text. Firstly, Hagar is proudly pregnant. And by doing so, showing amazing contempt for Sarai. She's proudly pregnant. You know... And she looked with contempt on her mistress. Chaos number one. Chaos number two is Sarai becomes volcanic. <laughs> she, and you know what? She blames Abraham for the situation. That's kind of rich, really, isn't it? Here, Abram, here's my maidservant. Take her as your wife. It's all your fault, Abram, she's pregnant. Yeah. And she now, this is the interesting thing, she now appeals to God to judge her actions. If you read that in um, verse 5, May the wrong be done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Pretty powerful sort of uh, indictment, right? Yeah, I know I gave you my maidservant, but the Lord needs to judge this, this situation. You know what Abram should have done? He should have taken Sarah aside. He should have assured Sarah of his love and accepted the blame and responsibility, he should have dealt firmly and kindly with Hagar. 
Abraham should have sought God's wisdom through a prayer of repentance. However, he capitulated into the social convention of the day and said, nothing to do with me, she's your servant. Do what you want with her. Do as you please. He abdicated his responsibility for his situation. He was pathetic, actually. He was passive, impotent, and uncaring towards both women. He was washing his hands of the situation. Not a great portrait of a man of faith, right? But you know what? This sort of situation always happens when God's people of faith begin to distrust God's purposes and plans. When we take upon ourselves the role of of trying to push forward God's purposes and plans, this will happen. Chaos will reign. Consequences will occur. We decide that God needs help in fulfilling his word of promise, this will happen. This will happen when you run ahead of God instead of waiting. But you know the wonderful thing we see in the back end of chapter 16? Is that even though, even though we are faithless and distrusting and we, we are narcissistic at our core and we, we, we try to push our own purposes and plans, God redeems. God in his grace redeems and he stretches out and he, he says, I know you foul up, but my promises are true, they're unconditional. They weren't changed because of your lack of trust. And that's what happens in the, in the back end. Firstly, we see uh, that um, the slave flees and is met by the Lord. I'll let you read this, but no, I'm going to read it. 16 verse 7. So we have Hagar fleeing from Sarai. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water, that's Hagar, in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered uh, for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall name him Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bela Haroi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. This is the first time in, in Scripture we, we come across the angel of the Lord. And there's no doubt who is speaking to Hagar. It's repeated often. Whenever you're looking at God's word, look for those things that are repeated. The angel of the Lord, verse 7. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord, 
Verse 10, the angel of the Lord said, verse 11, the angel of the Lord said, the angel of Yahweh. And we get an indication here that this is God himself. Because the angel makes promises that are everlasting in nature. So highly likely, a pre-incarnate Christ. Highly likely that this is who the angel of the Lord is here. And it's interesting, right? So Hagar is running and comes across this divine intervention. Where is she running to? She's running back to Egypt. She is an Egyptian slave. Remember back in Genesis chapter 12, when there was a great famine in the land, where did Abram and Sarai go? They ran to Egypt. What happened there? Abraham lied about Sarai so that he wouldn't get killed. And God sorted that out and, and blessed them as he left Egypt, all intact, and he took great wealth with him. Who did he take with him? Hagar, the Egyptian servant. And now we have Hagar running back to home, running back to Egypt. It's kind of irony, really, isn't it? Sarai, who was barren, resided in a fertile land, and Hagar, who was fertile, finds herself in a barren land on the edge of the desert of Sir. Sure. And then we have this encounter with the angel of the Lord. Happens twice in Genesis, here and in chapter 22. And it's God speaking. Starts with a question. Where have you come from and where are you going? Then he gives her a command. Return to Sarai and submit to her. The content that's in your heart is not what should be. You need to return and you need to submit to Sarai. So sometimes when God gives us commands, they're kind of edgy, right? They're kind of difficult to follow. But once again, that's an act of trust and faith and grace as we obey. Especially this word submission. It's something that we've just removed from our culture. But that was the command that the angel of the Lord gave Hagar. Return and submit. And then he gave a promise. I'm going to multiply your offspring and it won't be numbered. So it's going to be a large offspring. I was thinking about this last night. I was speaking to my, my older brother back in um, NZ and we were talking about my mum's side of the family. And my mum is one of 12. So I thought, oh, that's a reasonably large offspring because I think I have 36 cousins or something like that. And we're just working through um, different folks, John and I, and it was, it was a blessing to do so. But the reality is it's nothing compared with the promise that was given to Hagar. It will be innumerable. Your offspring will be multiplication upon multiplication. And then there's a revelation by the angel of the Lord to Sarai. The sex of your child is going to be a male. The name is going to be Ishmael. And then there's a character reference about Ishmael. 
I don't know if you'd want this as a character reference. It's probably not something you'd put on top of your CV. You know, he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him. And he shall dwell over against all his family, all his kinsmen. Wow. You read a little bit later in the story of Joseph in Genesis. Who is it that carries Joseph up into Egypt? The Ishmaelites. Where do they come from? Here. From Ishmael. But then God cares immensely for Hagar. Even though he's commanded to go back and submit, he's given him a great promise. He says, I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to comfort you. And Hagar sees this by turning and says, the name of the Lord who spoke to me is, you are a God of seeing. Here I have seen him who looks after me. Isn't that a wonderful comfort? This fleeing slave, God reaches out touches her life and she attests to the fact that the God who sees everything that's part of the character of God folks God sees everything God is also all powerful and he's also all knowing and uh, we see that here as he pursues Hagar and comforts her. And then we read just a very small thing. Uh, we read that she names the well there Belleroy. Now Belleroy is the well of the living one who sees me. If you want a translation? The well of the living one who sees me. You see, folks, isn't this wonderful? God redeems even in the midst of distrust and faithlessness. Doesn't that stir your soul? There's mine. That God is a God of redemption. His grace is sufficient for all. And then we see the consequence of their actions. We have a son born to Abram. Really interesting because the convention of the day would say that this son was born to who? Sarai. But God's word throws it on its head. It says, no, three times we're told that Ishmael was Abram's son. So you can't get away from the consequences of the action. He is your son, Abram. He is your son. And this brings us to a point. There's always consequences for actions. Always. 
when we run ahead of God and his perfect design and his plans for our lives, when we make decisions based on the social norms of our day as opposed to God's ways, we will suffer the consequences. Here in this family, they suffered the consequence of Ishmael's birth. And yes, Abraham loved Ishmael. But I imagine there was always going to be a tension in the family dynamics, right? And we especially see that once Isaac is born. But God is a God of redemption. And he uses our poor choices and our fixation on treating our own path to shape us and provide us grace to redeem us in our folly. It's not explicitly stated here, but implicitly stated there is, I believe, an act of repentance from Hagar. Because she clearly goes back to Abram and Sarai. She goes back and she submits herself to Sarai. And Ishmael is born. Now Abram's 86 years old when this happens. Been in the land 10 years, 10, 11 years. He's 86 years old. We're not going to get to chapter 17 today, and that's okay. So I think it's important that we wrestle with the issues before us. When have you run ahead of God's plan? You may be doing it now in a myriad of ways. You have an opportunity to turn like Hagar and to repent. To call out upon the gracious name of the Lord. As you know, one of the great promises of God, he is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 We see a mirror of that in the Old Testament. The God of redemption in the Old Testament is the God of redemption in the New Testament through faith in Christ. We place our faith and call out in repentance. We too, like Hagar, can cry out, and say, truly, this is a God who sees. And not only a God who sees, a God who accepts when we call out in faith and repentance. I'm going to let you for a few moments just, if you need to do any business with God, we need to acknowledge you've run ahead of his purposes and plans. Because you know what? When I think about it, God's timing so often we don't see as aligned to our own agenda. But you know what? God wants to develop depth and trust in him. 
Depth of spiritual maturity does not come quickly. I was watching the tennis last night. I imagine most of us are, right? I was watching a young guy, a 19-year-old, take on a reasonably seasoned veteran. And you can see the difference of level of maturity and experience between the two. It's a bit like that with, with our own spiritual walk, right? Depth of maturity is built over time. You see, if, if greed is the demon of money and if lust is the demon of sex and if pride is the demon of power, then speed is the demon of depth. God wants us to call out to him. He wants us to come before him with a humble and contrite spirit in repentance and to, I think Ephesians 2.10 is very uh, helpful in this when we talk about our spiritual walk. Ephesians 2.10. If you've placed your faith in Christ, think about this promise. For we are his workmanship. So those who have cried out by Grace, you have been saved through faith, as verse 2.8 says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk in the plans and purposes of God that he has for you. In closing prayer, I'll give you some time just to pray. I'll invite the music team up. Uh, get prepared for our next couple of songs. And we'll continue our worship together. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the lessons we learned from this chapter in Genesis. Father, we openly acknowledge that so often we run ahead of your plans and purposes in our life. We acknowledge like Hagar, we, we flee the consequences of our situation. And Father, we want you to search our hearts today. We want you to develop in us a depth of trust and faithfulness that is aligned with your purposes and plans for our lives. Father, we take great comfort and encouragement that we are your workmanship that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works which you have prepared beforehand. Father, help us to, to walk worthy of these plans and purposes. Help us not to be impatient. Help us not to mistrust. Help us not to be conformed by the social norms of this world. 
but help us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and help us to be transformed to your ways. Write upon our hearts uh, and develop us, Father, by the, the fruit of your Spirit to love, to have peace, to have joy, to have long-suffering, to have patience, to have kindness, to have self-control. Always looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So, Father, we, we thank you for convicting us. We thank you that as we cry out our prayers of repentance, you hear. We pray that we'll be encouraged by your deep love that you have for us. In Christ's name we pray.